Hello, everybody. David Garibaldi here. I'm sitting in my studio at home, uh, getting ready to do a little practicing today. And I'm here with uh, David Ward and musicians on the record. And uh, we're going to talk about some stuff. Hi, welcome to Musicians on the Record. I'm David Ward. You've heard the music, now hear their story. This is the show where we bring you the musician's story. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show. I'm so excited to have legendary drummer, author, and educator David Garibaldi. David has been named one of the top 100 drummers of all time by Rolling Stone. That's pretty cool. And since 1970, he's been the drummer for the classic band Tower of Power. We're going to have a lot of fun today. David's got some incredible, very cool stories. I love hearing all about this stuff, the classic stuff of connecting and playing with Tower of Power, getting his big break, opening for CCR in Santana back in the late 60s, early 70s, and playing at the legendary Fillmore Clubs, and so much more. All of that is coming up. We'd love to hear from you wherever you're listening from in the world, and please let us know which musician story you'd most love to hear. Please subscribe to the audio podcast here, and there's actually a video podcast as well. It's at Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and on our website at musiciansontherecord.com. Here is my very special guest today, David Garibaldi. How are you doing today, David? I'm well, David. Thank you. All good, man. Yeah. Beautiful California. It's nice. Yeah, so you, you mentioned in your email when we were corresponding that you were rehearsing with the tower of power, can you give us a glimpse, uh, a sort of look into what is that like rehearsing with that band and uh, what your role in it is? The, uh, I guess you call it, we call, call it the million gig March. (laughs) So, cause we're always doing something, always working. So kind of in the middle of everything, we decided to have these rehearsals Mm. And so this is our 50th year. So we're doing this big 50th year anniversary show uh, here in Oakland on June 1st and 2nd. So we have a new recording that's coming out as well. So uh, a whole bunch of things are going on. So we decided that we would rehearse and learn uh, a bunch of new material and kind of like uh, make major changes to our live show. And so we rehearsed in Sacramento for a week. We did five days of rehearsal, seven hours a day. It's Tower Power style. That's what we do. We've always done things like that. And uh, put together a bunch of songs and, you know, kind of figured out how we're going to use them. And so we're going to start performing them this week. Okay. Amazing. So these are new songs then that you are forming, developing. It's not just the old songs, the standbys and rearranging them. These are new. Well, we're do it's all of the above. So we're doing some brand new stuff uh, that's coming out on the recording. And then um, some songs that we've really not performed in a long, long, long time. Okay. And a couple that we've never performed wow. live. So, uh, plus, you know, we're going to be kind of mixing all that up with the stuff that we've been doing. So uh, it makes for a, v- a very uh, tightrope walking sort of situation. Right. You know? <clears throat> but it's good where everybody's good, man. This is the this is how we do things. You yeah. know, 
That's fantastic. Seven hours a day. That's incredible. Can you give us a glimpse of some of those songs that uh, you've never played before, haven't played in a while that you're going to be playing? Uh, we're doing some stuff. We're doing this. Uh, there's an album that we did in 1975 called Drop It in the Slot. Mm -hmm. So we're doing like a medley sort of of a bunch of songs from there uh, on the serious side, Wonderful Marvelous, Drop It in the Slot, stuff like that. So, you know, kind of connecting those things and you know, like we tower style, you know, we kind of weave everything together in some weird kind of way. And, you know. <clears throat> and so what's your role in those kind of rehearsals, David? Is it you guys tell me whatever you want me to play, I'll play it. Or are you more hands on? I think we should do it this way or let's try it that way. How does that go? Well, you know, we're we're basically a hippie collective, you know, like we're kind of old dudes who are, you know, like hippies and stuff. So we have this kind of democratic way that we do things always. And so, you know, we have a leader, of course, our leader, Emilio, you know, he kind of runs the show and then everybody gets input. Everybody has input. And uh, so it's a very interactive, you know, sort of a deal. Yeah. yeah. And how many folks in the band now? 10. 10. Yeah. That's a big band, right? <laughs> I mean, tower power you know horns that's right so you know and then with the you know this new recording we got coming out which actually turned out pretty pretty good um we recorded 28 songs oh my god wow so uh it's all coming out uh this year there the the record company uh mac avenue records is releasing both cds um it's called the soul side of town and it's going to be volumes one and two that's great so it turned out pretty cool so uh joe vanelli who is the brother of the famous singer gino vanelli we recorded at his studio in los angeles he co-produced it so uh sonically it's you know pretty stellar musically pretty stellar so uh <clears throat> it's pretty cool some really good playing uh, different, some different stuff for us. Um, just, you know, a, a, a project, sure. you know, how did that get to be 28 songs? You just had 28 songs in the tank. You guys did. Well, if you haven't recorded for 10 years, okay. You get a backup. Right. Right. It could have been 40, right? So. Exactly. <laughs> What was the recording process like for you being back in the studio, at least with them after 10 years? Well, you know, it's tower power. I mean, you know, we have a comfort level all the time, you know, so um, we just did it. You know, we started in Sacramento at uh, a studio there and probably half of it was done there. Half of it was done at Joe's place. And so the first half was pretty much live rhythm section stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, old school live rhythm section stuff. Yeah. And uh, sometimes with a click, sometimes not. Uh, and then when we moved down to Joe Vanelli's place, uh, we did some live rhythm section stuff, but mostly we tracked with drums only first. Mm. So that was really interesting. Now, Joe, I have history with Joe. I've known him for many, many years. We worked a lot together when I was in Gino Vanelli's band. And so we have a lot of studio history together and so we kind of know how each other works and joe really likes drums mm. the vanelli brothers they all like drums okay. and so uh doing drums with him was really really fun so we would rehearse the song and then uh kick everybody out and then i would play 
I would play the song to either a click or some kind of sequence, but I'd have my charts and all that stuff. And so I kind of had a form and kind of knew what I was going to do. And then just, you know, just played. And we, in an hour, we'd have a, a great track and we'd put everybody else on and you cannot, there's, you cannot tell that it was done like that. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, cause it, it, you know, you, you, it's a musical approach to, you know, recording using the technology that's available and it, you know, it's fun. Yeah. Is that a different mindset for you recording that way versus recording with a full band or certainly even playing live? Well, it was a lot easier because Watch. it was a lot easier because I didn't have to stop. I could, you know, I would play as much of the, of the song as I could. Right. And then we would do fixes and we would, you know, uh, do sections of songs. I would play long pieces, you know, you know, long sections of the songs, connect things, you know, and then what we liked, we would just compose, you know, it was great, man. It was, it was really, really interesting. I'd never really done it to that level before I'd overdrum overdub drums before, but I'd never really done basic tracks with just me and, you know, imagining what the music's going to be like because we had rehearsed. So I kind of, I would say that's kind of a way that um, I do things that uh, I guess you call it like a long suit that I have. I can visualize the music. I've always been able to do that with no one around. I think it's because of my practice sessions. I sort of, uh, when I practice something, I always pretend or hear other musicians with it in my head. So it takes on kind of the ideas, take on kind of a musicality, you know, from, that inspiration, you know, sure. sure. Amazing. Tell me what a, a practice session like uh, is like for you these days and how you learned how to practice. Uh, well, learn how to practice is you just get in and you do it. You know, uh, I had a teacher that once told me, you know, repetition is the mother of learning. Right. And he'd hold up his finger like this and he'd say repetition is the mother of learning, you know, and that always stuck with me. And so, when I decided to get serious about things, right, I had a, a great teacher here in the Bay Area who, private teacher Chuck Brown, and he taught me all about discipline. He was very old school and he was, you know, really uh, very detailed in what he expected out of me and what, you know, instructed me to do. And it sort of uh, set the stage for kind of my development, you know, as a um, I continued on, you know, through my music life, you know. So today I'm doing, working on these things. Wow. These are Tower Power songs that uh, I got the little charts for. And so I composed my parts and I'm kind of working on, you know, transitions. And so here's my notebook with some ideas and stuff on there for, some of this stuff, yes. you know, so <laughs> that's kind of what I'm doing, what I'm doing today. Yeah. So other days it's, you know, hand technique, uh, foot stuff, uh, anything that kind of inspires me. I always have like a, a notebook full of ideas that I'm, you know, adding to and kind of, uh, I look at like a, a, a an active notebook. I always have an active notebook in that, uh, I call it active because I'm always adding to it. You know, ideas. I date things. 
mm-hmm. uh, and use it as source material for songs, articles, uh, books, um, stuff like that. Yeah. And how long on average is there a practice session for you these days? It depends on what I have to do and how much, how much time I have and you know how much time I want to spend. I kind of, I don't know. I, I think my practicing is a lot more efficient now. I can get a lot done in a short amount of time and I don't, um, I don't beat things to death. If I feel like I'm reaching an end with my concentration or I'll just take a break. Like yesterday I had three practice sessions. So I guess maybe they were probably 45 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes. Maybe one of the sessions was an hour, but then I came back and I revisited the same things all day. Okay. Interesting. So I'll do that. Um, kind of often when I'm trying to learn something, I just kind of go over it and over it until it sort of clicks, you know, things kind of gel, you know? Right. And then of course, when you get out to perform, it's going to end up being different. Right. But I always like to have an idea of where things are going to go. Like, especially with tower, because our music is, is very orchestrated. So, you know, it's a combination of orchestration and improvisation. And so uh, it's a lot more improvisation now than it was years ago where everything was pretty orchestrated and I had very composed parts and things like that. So I sort of do the same thing now, um, but in a looser way. And that's only because you've got the foundation down that you can improvise like you do, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, it just, I still like, uh, you know, still play the songs the way that they're supposed to be played, but sometimes I'll kind of change the parts from top to bottom, you know, to just to make it things more to kind of update things and kind of reflect where I'm at currently and, you know, things like that, you know, so, um, things it's a work in progress it's always like a very fluid sort of a deal you know Hmm. i mean i i see you as such an accomplished drummer that i imagine can play anything uh but sometimes when i talk to guys that that may not be the case i don't know is is there anything that you can't play yet or are working on or still like i need to get this or practice that well i need to get everything Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I work on everything and I can't play everything. I have a lot of influences and stuff like that. But, you know, the, the stuff that, you know, whatever you're doing currently is usually kind of the stuff that you're doing best. And then you have to sort of put everything else on the back burner. If you're the kind of person, though, the kind of drummer who has a very varied musical menu all the time. You know, you go from one style of gig to another style of gig, then things stay pretty oiled up, you know, but if not like with tower, like tower, that's the only gig that I do. It's really the only one I'm interested in doing because I love doing it. What, what, but the thing about it is that there's a lot of influences in our music. So all the things that I work on in my practice and all that stuff and all the, other things I do always somehow show up uh, conceptually or some kind of, you know, in an inspirational sort of way, the music that happens with tower, you know, everybody in the band has a very varied musical um, uh, musical tastes. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of jazz heads in the band. We have, everybody loves world music. Everybody's Latin music, uh, you know, classical. I mean, whatever it is, um, everybody's into it. 
you know, so that sort of makes a very interesting sort of uh, stew, if you will, uh, 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 you know, of our music. You know, that's kind of how we do it. So there's a lot of things that you're listening to when you listen to Tower Music, a lot of things that inspire it. Yeah. You, you talked about the inspiration. Uh, can we go back to more of the beginning? Because I'd love to hear more of your story of how did you fall in love with music and the drums in the first place? Well, I, you know, in school, the teacher comes around. I think it was a fourth grade. The band teacher comes around. Who wants to play an instrument? Or, you know, kids raise their hand, you know. So what instrument would you like to play? And finally, when they got to me, I said I wanted to play the trumpet. Hmm. That was the first thing I wanted to try, trumpet. Well, David, we have no trumpets left, but we do have a violin. So I tried that. And, of course, it sucked. So (laughs) no offense to violin players, but, you know, that just wasn't for me. So um, tried it for a little bit. It didn't work. And then a couple years later, I was like 10 years old, uh, I got the idea that I – wanted to try the drums. Hmm. My parents always had music going on in the house. And they used to sometimes would play this recording called the saber dance. Hmm. Okay. And so it had, it was very percussive and a lot of stuff was, you know, happening in this music. And I thought, well, this is pretty cool. That's my recollection. Right. So I asked the music teacher at school, could I try playing music again? I'd like to play the drums. I said, sure. You know, and he was a, a um, very volatile, emotional man, really good with kids, but liked to yell. Mm. He was so a yeller. <laughs> he was a yeller, old yeller. Old yeller. <laughs> and so I remember I used to hide, when it was time for my music lesson, I was so bugged with him yelling all the time. I used to hide in the bathroom at school and he would come and look for us. I wasn't the only one. Yeah. You know? wow. The whole band was fighting. <laughs> so I wasn't the only one that was not liking that. But, you know, I'd go back and do my lesson. He'd pull me out of the bathroom. You know, I'd go hide the boys' bathroom. And so he'd pull me out of there and I'd do my lesson and that kind of stuff. And that's how kind of every, everything started. You know, I just began that way very slowly. And it's you know, amazing. It's amazing you didn't give up. Uh, with that kind of experience with, you know, kind of a traumatic kind of teacher like that. So some folks just say, I'm out of here. Right. Well, then in high school, I had a fantastic music teacher uh, who was uh, really great with us, you know, going back to that elementary school teacher, you know, his bands always got awards. Hmm. They're always very disciplined and all that stuff. So, you know, that was, part of his thing you know he's a disciplinarian and the bands always played well for the the kids age and all that stuff you know so he was a decorated performer you know Mm -hmm. it's just that that's i didn't like getting yelled at (laughs) i don't know i don't know who does but anyway i stayed with it and in high school i had a great music teacher and that's where i began playing the drum set you know um how was that? How did your folks handle that of like your passion, beginning passion for the drums? They were always cool with it. Uh, you know, um, they were always really great, supportive. Uh, my mother loved music. Uh, she played the piano and, 
you know, the families, you know, we'd get to, I had an aunt or sister who had also played the piano and they'd sing when we'd family get togethers, have these little sing along things, you know, so that was kind of cool, you know? And so, um, in high school, uh, I remember graduating, I was getting ready to graduate. The, the band teacher came to me and he had an assistant by then. Uh, they, they both came to me and said, you know, you ought to think about doing this, you know, more seriously, mm-hmm. you know, after you get out of high school, you know, cause I did, I didn't like school uh, academically. I, I, did very poorly because I didn't like it so much. Right. Okay. So uh, my father, uh, they got me hooked up with uh, a man who played in the Oakland symphony. And he was a very respected, I won't tell you his name, but he's a very respected guy taught at a college in Oakland and played the Oakland symphony had published works and all this other stuff. So they hooked me up with him, but you know, at the time I wasn't really ready for any sort of serious study at all you know my father would take me to these lessons and you know i didn't practice or i mean i was just very undisciplined yeah. and so i remember one time the guy uh, we we he he kind of got fed up with you know me not doing anything and not being serious and he told my dad you know you should we should stop these lessons because he's never gonna he's never gonna amount to much musically mm. wow. so this was this is what he said you know so my dad you know, uh, remember the ride home from the lesson, you know, and he didn't say anything to me, nothing. He was just my dad. He was really cool. He wasn't, you know, he just allowed me to kind of figure it all out. And I kept doing, I just kept playing, kept doing music, you know, I went to college, started music there and, um, playing in a bunch of bands, started having my own bands and, being in other people's groups and that kind of stuff. And then the military came and I ended up in a military band, you know? So everything just kind of always went that way, went, you know, went the way of music. You know, I worked in a butcher shop, I think when I was in high school and then thought I was upgrading. So I moved to a a chicken ranch, right? Right. Just didn't last very long. If you ever worked on a chicken ranch, you know, that taught me, you know, that to uh, stay with the drums. <laughs> Good motivation, right? <laughs> yeah. so everything just kind of developed from there. And it just, it's always been music since I was 10 years old. That's all I can. Yeah. I remember, you know, my life has been around music. Amazing. And who were you listening to at that time, David? Because it sounds like the, that teacher may not have been the right fit for you, but you were doing your own thing. Who were you influenced by musically? Well, you know, you listen to the radio. I mean, it was radio music. You know, radio was very popular. So, you know, all the kids that, you know, listen to pop music on the radio, that kind of stuff. And it's um, pretty much it, you know. And then you just, as you get into music, you, you know, you learn to experience more things. I always liked a lot of different kinds of music. I'd, I've never had one thing that I thought, well, okay, this is all it's going to be. Um I just always liked and still do like listening to lots of different stuff, you know, and it's continued that way. Sure. And how about drummers for you? Who are your main inspirations drumming wise, David? Well, main inspiration, I guess one inspiration was uh, my college teacher, Mr. Graves. He was a drummer and still alive 
really cool guy. He's the guy that said to me, repetition is the mother of learning and held up his finger like that. And still alive. Really, really a great man. I learned so much from him. And then, you know, um, I was also like, kind of, I guess my first professional gigs were with a big band, professional mm-hmm. gigs, money-making gigs were the big band. Right. And so I always dug big band music. It was just kind of a way that, you know, kids were always doing that kind of stuff when I grew up, you know, cause jazz education was part of how you learned music. You know, it wasn't really a rock and roll thing yet. Rock and roll didn't have any respect yet. And it wasn't really a credible way for people to, you know, people to learn. Right. You know, that was my, my email, yep. you know, people to learn. Right. So, um, I just, uh, Sonny Payne with the Count Basie orchestra, you know, I remember seeing him with Count Basie live and how cool that was, you know, how with the, the energy that he played with. I like all, a lot of big band guys, Jake Hanna with, the, you know, Woody Herman, uh, you know, guys like that. Um, jazz drummers, of course, you know, you're coming up, Tony Williams, you know, uh, Elvin Jones, that kind of stuff. Um, all the James Brown guys, you know, because when I got when I first heard James Brown, that really gave me some focus, some direction. I thought, okay, I want to play like that. That was the first time really that I think that I ever decided, okay, this is the way I'm, this is the, I'm going to go in that direction. Mm. And so Clyde Stubblefield and Jabo. They weren't, they weren't in the band yet. I think it was Clayton Philia. This was like the same, when I saw them, it was the same band that was on live at the Apollo. And I think that was 1962, you know, something like that. So when I first heard him, it was 1965, I believe, mm. at the San Jose Civic Auditorium here in San Jose, California, here in the Bay Area. And it was that same band. So that really grabbed you, it sounded like. And that, I mean, you, you are well known for your funk drumming. It sounds like that's part of what started that passion for funk drumming. Yeah, just something that really excited me. So I always tried to, uh, it was kind of, I don't know, I just got the idea, okay, well, let me take this somewhere, you know. Um, uh, All my friends, they were, you know, it was kind of a, you you could sort of decide which guys were making decisions as to what levels of music they were going to head into, you know, what things they were going to do. And so that's kind of where I went, you know, a friend of mine, he went another way, you know, he wanted to be a jazz musician, you know, ended up playing with the Don Ellis orchestra and all this other stuff. So he's a really, really great player, but his, his thing went another way. And so, you know, you went, you went to college and to the military. When was that time that you made the decision, David, that I want to go for this. I want to do this musically for a career. 17. 17. That was it. And what was the dream at 17? What did you want? It to, where did you want it to go? I don't know that you think about it like that. Okay. You know, I just knew that I was going to play music. And after I did that first gig with, you know, it's like that big band, it was on the back of a flatbed truck out in front of this music store here in Livermore. And I got paid and I'm going, this is really cool. Right. And there was all older guys in the band and they got me in the union which I thought was really a cool thing. I had my union card, you know, since I was like, I don't know, 17, 18 years old. Right. So I thought that was really cool, you know? So it was like that, you know, and and I just kind of, 
knew it. I knew that this was what I was going to do. And then every decision I've made sort of has, has been to stay in music and keep growing and, you know, places I've lived and, you know, gigs I've done and all of that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah. When you made that decision and you, you went for it, what have been some of the biggest challenges and obstacles that you've gone through and that you've overcome and learned from? Well, I think if you have a high standard, if you operate, you know, according to a higher standard all the time, there's, there's that it's pressure, I guess, you know, to always reach. And so, um, I used to really beat myself up when I didn't live up to, you know, my expectations of myself, that kind of stuff, you know? And so now I think I kind of stopped doing that. So I kind of like take it as it comes, no matter how much pressure there may be in the situation or how much, whatever the challenge is. Uh, the only way that you're going to grow is if you put yourself in a situation that scares the shit out of you. So there's always those moments, you know, where you wonder, wow, can I do that? You know? So those are the moments kind of that, you know, when you're faced with that, you can either walk away from it or you can walk toward it. Right. Yes. So if you want to grow, you want to walk toward that challenge. Can you give us an example of one of those early challenges that was scary like that, but you walked towards it? I would have to say that probably all of this is like that. Yeah. You know, uh, I didn't want to just play the drums. I wanted it to be really good. And I want to elevate what I do all the time. So that in itself, you know, creates an atmosphere of, okay, man, let's, let's do this. You know, and so I've kind of learned not to turn my back when there's a challenge that I know I can, I can meet. If you turn your back on it, you'll know that you should have done it. There's that moment, that decision moment right there where, you know, okay, I can do this or I can walk away and not have the stress of having to put myself in the situation, (laughs) you know? But I agree. There's growth that comes from that. You know, there's a certain level of anxiety that can help us grow. Well, you know, know, if you have anxiety about stuff and, you know, you're stressed about it, it's because you care about it. Right. Right. So you, you care about it. And so that's a good thing, you know? But you want to have perspective, too, you know. So if you have anxiety and stuff about it, 
that's just like uh that's like the clouds in the sky you know the the weather you know if you can view it like that you know it's going to change it's not going to stay it's going to only going to stay the same if you grab onto it and allow it to stay the same if you know what i mean yeah, and and for up and coming musicians, David, any tips or or ways that you have dealt with that stress or anxiety in the moment, whether it's recording, playing live, getting gigs. Well, the first thing I think is just get to work. You know, mm-hmm. there's not a secret to genius. Yeah, you know, uh, some people say that you know, like genius is self-attained you know i think the thing that separates people is people's ability to you know to work you know your desire to work your you know do you have you had a moment in your life where everything sort of explodes kind of you know motivationally you know everybody that all the great players and it actually Anybody that does anything great in their life, you can look at athletes, that kind of stuff. There's a moment in their life where something happened to, in their head, they say, wow, this is great. I can do this. Right. And then that keeps propelling them forward. Right. And so I wanted to and want to live up to what, ability i know i have you know you're always gonna you're never gonna get there right but it's a cool it's a cool journey i can hear that passion is still very much alive and and driving your bus around that as far as with music it's really great pretty much you know uh, you know the guys in the band are like that you know i think if if you want to have a really good situation, surround yourself with, and you can do this at any level, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, right? Yeah. And people whose ability you admire, mm-hmm. right? People who, just people that you admire. And then offload all the bullshitters and all the ones that are negative and possibly tell you that you couldn't do what you're trying to do. I mean, if you look at, look at our band, for instance, you know, the goal of the band is the same today as it was in 1968. Play great music like our heroes. That's what it is, right? Seriously. Yeah. Can we talk about the story of how you guys got connected, how you got connected with Tower of Power? Well, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, That's kind of talked about it a bunch in other interviews and stuff, too. You know, it's like I had gotten out of the military and um, was playing in a club in Oakland down on a place called Jack London Square, which had a lot of nightclubs and restaurants and stuff. And I was playing, it was this place called the On Broadway. And because the street's called Broadway, right? And it's at the corner of 4th and Broadway in Oakland for those locals. Okay. You know. So um, 
the band was called the reality sandwich i love it and you know a hippie band but a hippie uh band full of you know drug dealers okay so they were playing in this club there and the the drummer had an injury or something happened to the regular drummer so i was subbing for their regular drummer as was mike clark we would like we were both subbing for this guy that's where i met mike so this was 19 early 1970 very early 1970 so one day um of course it happened a a few times a couple guys from tower two of the horn players mick gillette and skip mesquite both of them you know have passed away but they used to come and play and so one night they came and asked me uh when they came in they said they were looking for a drummer you want to come and check it out and so i went and heard them play and they were playing at a place called keystone corner in san francisco and it's in the north beach uh neighborhood of san francisco where there's a lot of restaurants and you know clubs and all this stuff but the keystone corner was a real famous club in san francisco that was presenting you know new music right as a lot of places were and so um they got horns and they had a vibe and they had a cool sound and there was rocco the bass player you know sounding really amazing and you know they they were doing original songs plus really obscure cover songs that no one knows about (laughs) you know but i knew the songs because i was for some reason interested in what they were interested in without even knowing them. We, we kind of just, Oh, wow. And I thought as soon as I heard it, heard the band, I'm going, I'm going to be in that. Mm. I, I was never a thought that I wasn't going to be. And I hadn't even been asked to be in it yet. You know? So they had won this record deal at Tuesday night, uh, battle of the bands called sounds of the city. That was in San Francisco at the Fillmore West bill graham's place and so uh the producer had told them that okay the drummer and the guitar player are going to have to you know step up their you know their their level play a little bit before we can record and so he gave them six months and so i guess it wasn't going the way that it was supposed to and so they you know, I got an invitation to go check it out. And then I met the leader and then we played and it went from there, you know, and the, you know, that band was like a lot of the bands that around here that I was seeing, you know, that had horns and playing kind of R and B based music and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, Sly Stone was, was here. He was like a DJ at, at the time and he was also a band leader. So he played guitar and stuff and, you know, be it was a band leader for groups around here, singers, famous singers, and you know, that kind of stuff. So I used to see that, you know. So I thought when I saw Tower, I thought, well, this is just like the stuff I'm growing up hearing. Sure. This is pretty cool, right. you know. Right. So it just kind of went from there, and you know. And, and I love it that you knew right at the, the moment you were playing that that was going to be your band. It's very cool. Yeah. Love at first sight. Right. There you go. Would you say that that was your first big break as far as in the music business, music industry? Well, it was, I did, 
I didn't think of it like that. I just thought, this is a cool band I'm going to be in. Yeah. I mean, it was 23, right? right? And so, you know, when you're 23, most 23 years old, you're, you're old kids, you know, that ignorance is bliss. You right. know, I mean, we did our first gig. My first gig with the band was in July, July 23rd, 1970, up in Lake Tahoe at the you know state line nevada california state line lake tahoe uh, and um we played i think at veterans a vfw hall and then we moved to the north shore of the lake and played in a place called the stop and we stayed there for uh, uh, i think i think we were there for four nights or something like that but we slept on the floor that kind of stuff you know and not once did i think this is lame. Right. Not once. Right. Right. Yeah, 23-year-old kid getting to play music for in your life. That's what it's all like about. That. And then, you know, just the Bay Area at that time was a very exciting place musically. There was so much musical opportunity and so many cool things, you know. And then we started playing uh, Monday and Tuesday nights at that on-Broadway place where I met the Tower. That way we had a regular gig there. And when we first started, no one came. Mm, And in a very short time, there was lines to get in to see us play. And so um, it just kind of went from there. You know, we met, I met Michael Shreve, Mm. um, you know, with the, you know, Santana band and uh, Doug Clifford with Creedence Clearwater. And, you know, actually, uh, Doug was the first guy that, you know, that I had met who was of any sort of, you know, had any sort of fame. Mm. And I was giving him drum lessons at his house. (laughs) <laughs> and that he asked if we were interested in touring with them. Wow. Cool. So that was kind of like our first big break. We did a Creedence Clearwater tour. Nice. Right? Yeah. First big deal. Yeah. Then out right after that, I met Michael Shreve and we hit it off and uh he invited us to tour with Santana. So right away to the biggest bands at the time, huge top of the heap, right. Are taking us out and giving us national exposure. And, you know, we're opening the shows. We're playing when the lights are on and uh, people are throwing stuff at us and all this, you know, it's like that. But man, it was really great. You know, we had our stuff in a van. It was cool. Yeah, that must have been amazing as a, a young young man to be traveling. For you, what what were some of the highlights, or even just career wise, some of the highlights with performing? Those sound like two just right there. But any others come to mind? One of the cool, one of the first cool ones I remember. Of course, there's like so many stuff, but a couple of this always stick out. Is we played the Fillmore East with Santana, right? And it was Roland Kirk was on the show. Rasan Roland Kirk, right? And so he shows up and he's got his entourage and stuff and he had a minister of music or some kind of thing and the guy had this shepherd's crook and he's like banging it on the floor as, you know, they're kind of this procession. They're going through the, you know, through the, the venue and all this stuff. And uh, it was pretty wild. I mean, I'd never seen anything like that before. I'd only heard his recordings, right? And so he does his set and he tells the audience that they don't know anything about black music. And the audience starts chanting, bullshit, 
bullshit. This is Fillmore East, right? Yeah, right. I'm watching all this, and I cannot believe what I'm seeing. And at the end of his set, he got a standing ovation. I was in shock. I'd never seen anything like that. And also, um, during that show, uh, Miles Davis came to hang out because he was interested in Santana. Him and Carlos had become friends and stuff. And so he came, he was there. And then we did, uh, after that, a while after that, we did uh, those Aretha Franklin live at the Fillmore shows. We opened all those shows. So those three nights, um, it was it was pretty amazing. That must have been incredible. Yeah. So, you know, and there's been a lot of other stuff, too. But, like, you know, those are things that always kind of stick with me all the time, you know. Sure. And where did the Mickey Hart uh, project come in? The Planet Drum, Mickey Hart's Planet Drum. How did that come about, David? We did our first record release. Uh, for, we had Warner Brothers uh, con- record deal. So we the, the first record we did for Warner Brothers, Bump City, we did a record release party at the Grateful Dead Ranch. Mm. And uh, spiked the food with acid. <laughs> true. True yeah, story. I believe you. <laughs> it was the time, right? Yeah, so, you know, like I've known Mickey since yeah. those days, you know. And um, What do you love about him? I as- don't remember how I got the gig. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember how I got the gig with Planet Drum. Okay. I, I, I really, I don't remember it. It was before Tower, two years before I went back. Okay. I went back to Tower 98, and then I did 96 and 97 with Mickey and Zakir Hussein and all those guys, you know. Uh, but I can't remember how I got the gig. Whoa. It's all good. It'll come back. It'll come back. <laughs> but it was fun. I had a really great time, you know, with uh, Giovanni Dago and, and Zakir were in the band, you know. So two masters of their instrument, you know, on the same bus right. and hanging out with them every day. Then we had this great talking drum player, Sikiru Adipoju, you know, for a, a a real talking drum player, man. And these guys were, had so much culture and so much musical things going on. And the most fun was on the bus every day, the daily jam sessions and hangouts. To me, that was just like, it was like school being around these guys, you know, it was so much fun, you know, it could be challenging enough with a three piece or a four piece. Sometimes you got the highs and the lows of, you know, just being in a band. What are some of the, pros and cons, the challenges being in a 10 piece band. Well, I think being with any band, you got to get along with people. The main thing we do is we don't tell each other how to play. We don't have any discussions about how somebody should play. We have tower music that we play. Right. And everybody who comes in the band, uh, has likes the music and, likes the structure of it and doesn't mind the structure of it and functioning can function within a structure. So Emilio, the leader, he doesn't tell people how to play. He lets everyone find their way. So always when we get new people that come into band, it's, Oh yeah, man, you know, I've grew up with tower music. I know all about it. You know, it's my favorite music, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, listening to it, but then being in it are two different things, right? So there's always like, we call it tower 101. When someone comes in, 
they have to they learn how to play the music and then they learn how to get along with everybody so if you can't do those things then you're not going to be able to stay you know we had one guy was in the band you know a rhythm section player we wanted him to play a certain way stylistically and he didn't want to do it so that didn't work right and we all are we spend so much time together that you have to get along it's a family you know so we all have the we have the have the family stuff too you know little bitch fits and all that stuff we have all of it you know but we went from being a a band to being a you know friend friends in the beginning then we went to being a family right and then now we're an organism and you not only have to have your chops to be able to be in the band but you also got to be able to hang and the the nature of those relationships are so important right you got to have you have to have social chops you know you got to be able to you know interact with people enjoy people you know now everybody gets to do their thing i mean you know it's not like you're ordered to show up at a band dinner mm-hmm. you know I mean, it's just like anything else. I mean, you know, there's guys in the band. Some guys are closer, you know, with others, yep. right? It's like that. That's right. Ten people, you're not going to be able to, you know, have a, you know. But it's still, it's a family atmosphere. We travel all the time together. We eat together a lot, you know. Spend lots of time together, you know. So you got to get along. Yeah, and I think that's a powerful message for a lot of folks. It's not. It's about the music, but it's also about the relationships. Of course it is. And if also, if you have weird habits, like, you know, alcohol or dope, and we've gone through all of it, you know, um, if you want to ruin your life and ruin your creativity and really ruin everything, get drunk or get loaded. Yeah, it's the myth that that's what makes the music, but it's not really, right? Well, there's a commonality in it, you know, that, because everybody's getting high, so everybody kind of sticks together. And then if you're the one that's not getting high, then you're the one that's trying to wreck the party. Mm-hmm. The way it goes, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so with my guys, you know, our you know, our our little group of people, every we went through all of that stuff, you know, guys losing everything and you know, that kind of stuff and impacting yeah. their health and their family lives and, you know, hitting bottom. And then rebuilding, you know, waking up and stopping that and then having the discipline and the guts, the courage to move forward without it and rebuild their lives again. You know, so now instead of getting loaded before the gig, we pray together. Mm, Nice. That's serious. That's great. It's very different. Right. (laughs) A lot more more peaceful. A lot different from the 60s and 70s, right? <laughs> that's fantastic. But that spiritual bond, that's part of the family, it sounds like. That spiritual bond with you guys. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Wonderful. Nice. Can we talk a little bit about, in addition to your playing, uh, you are a, an amazing educator as well. And I just I haven't had a chance to look into it much, but I just got, Dom was telling me about your book, Future Sounds. 
How did you get into the education piece with drumming? And uh, and how many books is it now? You've got a bunch of books, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how many there are. There's quite a few. You know, um, if you write them long enough, you know, they, the count adds up. Uh, you know, but I always liked, uh, I always admired teachers as much as I admired players. So, you know, you grow up and you have players who, you know, you kind of model yourself after and who inspire you. I had, I was like that. I had that teachers like that. And I always like thought the teaching was really cool. And I always thought that playing was really cool. The whole, the whole thing. Right. So, um, it kind of went from there. You know, I always wanted to be this player, teacher, teacher, player sort of person, you know, um, I always thought that I realized how important a teacher was and especially the ones that know how to mentor you. Right. 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 And some, you know, my teacher that's still alive, he's still my teacher. So you still have a teacher as well. Well, I have, I have teachers all the time. I, you know, I, I always work with people, you know, when I have needs musically, I go see somebody that, you know, that can help me, you know, uh, I've been out to see Dom, you know, we, he was gracious enough to have me in. We spent a day together. You know, I've done that with other people too. You know, I'll just go work with people. If you want to know something, I mean, how else are you going to get it? Right. Right. You go to somebody that knows. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I have friends who, um, are excellent teachers who I view as mentors. Yeah. And you, do you also teach people privately in person or Skype? I have, I have private, I have private students right now. I, and I used to have like hundreds of guys and, you know, but now because it's our schedule, and stuff, it's, that's impossible. So, I teach uh, a couple times a month at a a Dubs drum basement here in the area. It's a new drum shop. And so I go in there a couple times a month and uh, I've been doing that for a while now. It's, it's really cool. A really great little shop that's growing. He's going to have to expand pretty soon. Uh, I enjoy the one-on-one thing. You know, I did lots of clinics and a lot of big events and things like that, you know, but I just, I discovered that I didn't enjoy that so much. It just didn't interest me, you know. Um, But what I do like and really enjoy is a one-on-one thing. I like meeting people, you know, and bullshitting with them and laughing and talking about stuff, you know, and getting into where they want to go as a player. Right? So somebody comes to see me. The first thing I say to them is, well, why are you here? Right. So maybe nobody ever asked them that before. Right. So uh, my question is, you know, it's always what what is it that you want to accomplish? You know. And so if they say, well, whatever you want to show me, I say, well. I want to know what you want to do, and then it makes them think about it, you know, because I think that's what it's all about is helping them kind of uncover 
what it is that they want to do, helping them get to that place, right? Helping them to even see it's possible, right? right? Uh, some of the, sometimes the lessons are like, you know, therapy sessions in a way, sure. you know, because you have to you have to encourage people. You have to get kind of on the level where they are, right? And you have to somehow inspire them to get out of their own way so that they can enjoy themselves and have fun and get, you know, uh, close to the dream that they have. Yeah. So really motivating, helping them, inspiring them for their goals and dreams. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's, you know, the teachers who have meant the most to me, that's what they did for me, you know, as they stood by me when I needed it and they were up my ass when I needed it. You know what I mean? So um, I think that a teacher like that is a real asset because, you know, drumming is more than paradiddles. It's way more than that. Mm -hmm. You know, where is your head at about stuff? You know, where is your head at about you, where you're going, that kind of stuff? How do you think about what you do, you know? How to think. I mean, there's also so much science out there that uh, modern science uh, about what we can do cognitively to improve our ability to learn, our ability to, um, you know, uh, grow, right? Our ability to interact with the thing that we're trying to do so that we can get out of our own way, so to speak, you know, and and really get something done. And are we talking about something like meditation or just kind of that meditation is good. Yeah. You know, that's a really good thing, man. It takes the edge off. You know, I do that, you know, on a regular basis. Any specific type or just your own thing, David? Well, classic meditation is, you know, sit quietly and relax and focus on your breathing. I mean, that's, you know, when you're, when your mind wanders, you go back to your breathing, right? Do that for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, even, you know, like, uh, it's like recharging your cell phone. You know, some days when I have, you know, stressed out about stuff, I'll do it two or three times. And the mind will wander, right? That's part of the deal, right? Of course you can't tame it what's that you can't tame it exactly yep can only can only manage it and work with it so i imagine you're not yelling at your students it sounds like i'm guessing no no not so much there's a lot of uh, of some really really great people that i've been working with you know that's just so much fun to be with them you know they're great people they're just like you and me they want something cool in their life you know um You know, I just want to help them, help them get, get to where they want to go. You know, it's yeah, awesome. Can we also talk about some learning lessons that you've gone through? Uh, part of the show is working and helping learning from guys like you who have been doing it for so, so long around the business of music. Um, and what would you recommend for someone to have, you know, not only their chops, and their social chops in order, but their business house in order around music. 
Well, save your money. <laughs> Good advice. I'm yeah. I'm serious. You know, uh, when you're 70 years old, you're going to be glad or you're going to regret your saving habits. It's really important. You know, when you're, when you're young, you don't think about planning for anything, you know, and having, you know, like a good financial structure in your life, learning how to, you know, save your money and, you know, managing your money, managing your household, if you will, you know, it's really, really important, you know. And and how do you balance everything, David? Because it sounds like, I mean, incredibly busy with Tower and everything that's going on, recording, performing. How do you balance that with playing, with business, with your personal life and health? Well, I have a really good family. My wife is really cool. You know, my boy, he's fantastic. My daughter, terrific. You know, great people. Um, when I leave to go work, my wife... So see you when you get back and she's a steady person. And, you know, I never have to worry about, about her. You know, she's not, she's not a needy sort of person in that way, you know? Um, so home life is really good. Uh, fitness is really important to me. So I have a very active uh, fitness life, you know, working out. So, um, I was a runner for years and I stopped doing that because I had hip surgeries and this stuff. And so, but, you know, I do Pilates, I strength train, I cycle, uh, you know, lots of walking, you know, anything with fitness in it. I just love it, you know? So, um, I don't do that for drumming. I do that because it makes the rest of my life go really well. You know, um, drumming fitness is if you want drumming fitness, then you got to practice. So you don't see much correlation between the two. The exercise doesn't help the drumming so much. Well, it helps, you know, because it helps your your brain, you know. But I think, you know, is a push up going to help you, you know, play a paradiddle? No. Can we talk a little bit about how you're doing from the accident? Would that be okay? Uh, yeah. Okay. Whatever you whatever you want to share or don't want to share, you you tell me about that, David. That I will totally respect that. But obviously, you went through uh, quite a scare, quite a, an event. It's almost a year ago, or yes. over a year ago, and you know, it's glad you are here and glad you are up and around. Uh, you and your bass player, Mark. But what would you want to say about all of that? Well. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to go into like a lot of detail about it. You know, I'd just rather not. But I will say that, you know, we both um, are doing well. We're back to work. Mark is playing with us now. And um, we're just feeling good. You know, we're grateful that we're alive. Yeah. Uh, it was a pretty was an interesting year, <laughs> you know. Uh, Lots of people were praying for us and, you know, we went through a lot of stuff to get back to where we are, you know, Mark almost died and that kind of stuff. And, 
we both had our our issues from that physically, you know. Um, but life is good. We're here and grateful, and uh, that's what there is to say about it right now. You know? Right, and it sounds like that's the, one of the main lessons right there is you're here, you you guys are both here, and you're alive, and the sun is shining out there, and gratitude, right? We're thankful every day for what we got. Right, absolutely. And that's a key, I think that's a key as far as the just dealing with mindset as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely so. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, allow discouragement to kind of take root in your life. Yeah. You, know, yeah. Uh, you can't be optimistic. Right. right. So whenever you have the, whenever you're tempted to be discouraged, mm-hmm. if you don't allow that to take root in your, in your mind, right. You're in good shape. And that's yeah. a battle. You know, that's, you, you, it's a, you know, living good, and living that way, it's hard work, man. Right. No question. And it sounds like there's an inner resiliency, an inner strength that you have with that, but also that you have a, an amazing group of support, family and friends that have helped you through all of those uh, times. They've helped me quite a lot. You know, you know the, the thing is, is that it comes down to what do you want mm-hmm. and what are you going to allow? in your life right and so you can look at the things that happen to you as a sentence right but if you do that then all of a sudden you're living within your your uh, 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 a limitation limitations right now i'm not unrealistic enough to think that i don't have challenges now as a result of this accident right but I don't look at it as um, as a sentence. Mm-hmm. I'm optimistic about my life and moving forward and all of those things, you know. So you, sometimes you have to you have to move in spite of what you, you know the circumstances sure. say. Sure. So you mentioned thinking about where you want to go. Where do you want to go still? I mean, an amazing career that you've had so far. Where else do you want to go, David? Well, I want to keep living, keep doing what I do. I mean, um, the story is still being written. I mean, you know, so we're still doing our stuff. You know, we're still on the million gig march. You know, we still have a crazy schedule we still are doing what we do you know uh keeping the lights on you know paying the rent that's what we that's what we do you know so i'm thankful for all of that i mean it's really cool we get to do lots of playing more playing probably than (laughs) you know you need sometimes you know but it's really good you know uh I i couldn't ask for you know, anything greater, you know, I'm in a a place that I love and enjoy. And, you know, it's, I keep it that way, you know, uh, anything, if you don't tend to it, care for it, 
respected, anything can fall apart. You know, so I have great respect for what I do. I have respect for all the things in my life that are, you know, that exist, the good and the bad. I respect all of it and I deal with all of it, you know, uh, as best as I can, but with a, a grateful and optimistic view. Great. So in closing then, David, we've got the, the double CD or the double vinyl, whatever we want to call it for Tower Power coming out this year, both. both. Yeah. Hopefully all of the modalities. Um, what would, what advice would you give for future generations of musicians who are watching this, who would like to get to where you are? And man, there's no secret to it, man. Just get to work. You know, um, Everybody looks about, you know, says, well, there's no opportunity today. Well, did we live during the Renaissance? No. And art still found a way to be made. And that art we're enjoying today still from periods like that, right? We don't have patrons of the arts today. We don't have that, right? And so you kind of have to foot your own bill. The There's always going to be $50 gigs, you know, to play, because that seems to be some sort of really messed up rite of passage that every musician has to go through, you know, no matter how long you've been in it. There's, I mean, if I wanted to, I could go do some $50 gigs right now. You know, they're always out there, right? But that's how you learn. You know, you do the $50 gigs if you really want to do this. Right. And so put yourself in situations that allow you to do what you want to do that allow you to follow the dream that you have. Right. And just get to work at it. Just work. There's no secret. The only time that success comes before work is in the dictionary. Yep. Fantastic. Hard work, that's where it's at. There's no shortcut. David Garibaldi, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on Musicians on the Record. All right, Dave. Thank you, man. What an incredible guest. Thank you so much, David Garibaldi, on Musicians on the Record today. What incredible stories. I love hearing all of that stuff. Connecting and playing with the Tower of Power, opening up for CCR in Santana. How much better does that get? And all of the stories around playing the legendary Fillmore clubs and giving lessons to Doug Clifford of CCR, drum lessons. Oh, that was fantastic. I love it. Thank you so much, David Garibaldi, for being on Musicians on the Record. We'd love to hear from you wherever you're listening from in the world, and please let us know which musician story you'd most love to hear. You can subscribe to this audio podcast, as well as if you want to watch these, you can do that too. All of these interviews exist in video too. You can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and of course you can see all of our interviews on our website at musiciansontherecord.com. If you're enjoying these interviews, please be a roadie for the show and share them with someone you know that would love them too. Thank you so much for listening and watching. If you're watching them, I'm David Ward. We'll see you next time.